Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, how are we doing this week, man? Uh, I'm still itching to get out, but I am starting to get a little bit more of my sports fix. It just happens to be my sport fix from like 30 years ago. This was a cool week for sports. You know, we'll get into the draft in a little bit. And it was definitely appointment TV for me last Sunday to watch the Jordan documentary. We're going to bring on executive producer Mike Tolan in a few minutes to talk about it. But I wanted to talk about it ourselves because um, I I was mentioning to you, you know, so I, I grew up, my prime of being a sports fan in high school was the Jordan years. They were my younger brother's favorite team. Everything he had was bulls. So I saw plenty of it. And I got to be honest, I forgot just how good he was. It was amazing. I think most people who are younger than us don't even realize how good he was. I mean, it's one of the things that I wanted us to ask Mike is, is just, it's fascinating to hear from younger people. And I'm talking about people 25 and younger who have never really seen Jordan play. Don't understand the impact that he had on a generation in the world. But it's made me want to go back and watch old games. Like the UNC Georgetown final, that was a great game. And it wasn't just a great game because Jordan was great. There were there were at least three Hall of Famers in that game. You had James Worthy was the older player, and Jordan was only a rookie. And then you had uh, Patrick Ewing on the other side. And, and it came down to the last second. It was just It was just a great game. There were so many of those games. And I'm glad they're starting to show those on TV instead of last year's game, you know, MEAC game. I was an on-the-court guy. I paid attention to the games. I was too young to know what was going on in the background with Jerry Krause and everything. So that's why I'm excited to bring on now executive producer of The Last Dance, the 10-part docuseries that chronicles Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Mike Tolan, are you there with us? Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Jeff and I were saying this has been appointment television for us. Uh, we really enjoyed parts one and two. And uh, when Jeff told me that there was a chance to get to talk to you, it was like, oh, absolutely. Um, well, you I, plus, he's a Philly guy. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know, you, it was easy pickings, guys. You know, I grew up in Havertown, <laughs> and my roots go very deep in Philly. I... Uh, I, I live and die, mostly die, like Philly Philly sports fans. We're all dying a little bit this morning on on Howie's crazy ride last night. I, I got a I got a 20-year-old son who grew up in L.A. as a diehard Philly sports fan who, like, couldn't get out of bed this morning. <laughs> He's so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and I are going to vent on that after we finish talking to you. Okay. Don't you worry. We got plenty to say. Uh, I wanted to start, though, because I was telling Jeff, my, my brother was a huge Bulls fan, my younger brother growing up, and I watched a lot. But you were able to find out about this treasure trove of 500 hours that existed of uh, Michael Jordan's 97-98 final season. Can you talk about how you found out about this originally, and then we'll go into how you sure. pursued the project forward? Well, it was a very poorly kept secret, to be honest. Um, you know, we're going back more than 20 years. In the late 90s, I was producing a show you guys may remember called Arliss, about a sports agent I on loved HBO. It. So um, we had David Falk come on, actually, to be truthful about it. It was David Falk coming on 
while bringing his client Michael Jordan. So guess which part of that equation didn't pan out? <laughs> David came on and Michael never showed up. And then, uh, you know, what became apparent is that there was a little bit of a changing in the guard. Um, and Michael ultimately ended up being with S.D. Portnoy and Curtis Polk as his primary business partners, advisors. I mean, they, they basically run all of his enterprises with him. Um, and uh, it was S.D. and Curtis who I ended up sitting with in Toronto during All-Star 2016 and really starting to have serious conversations. But it was kind of one of those urban myths back in the late 90s. When David came into Arliss, uh, he told us about it. I have a friend named Frank Marshall who's one of the more prolific filmmakers in Hollywood. Uh, he heard about it and was actually trying to make a deal with Disney in, in as early as 99. Um, ultimately, he was derailed because of the existence of the IMAX film. You guys remember that um, it wasn't as well known that NBA Entertainment was shooting the whole season with the Bulls in 97, 98, but then they made an IMAX film where they followed them just for the playoffs. And because, you know, that went in so, it was so in-depth during the playoffs and the playoffs were so dramatic, that sort of, you know, got in the way of, of pushing the season-long film. Anyway, um, Andy Thompson, who's Michael Thompson's brother and Clay Thompson's uncle, was the NBA producer who had the idea, who gave it to the president of NBA Entertainment, who back then was none other than Adam Silver, who went to the Bulls, Reinsdorf cleared it, uh, Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, and then ultimately went to Michael. And the, the discussion came down to, look, Michael, um, if you let us shoot we won't do anything with the footage until there's a mutual understanding and a way forward that we agree on. Otherwise, it'll just be the greatest set of home videos anybody's ever had. So um, lots of other filmmakers along the way, believe it or not, Danny DeVito, Spike Lee, as you'd imagine, who did all the commercials, the Nike spots with Michael. So as somebody in sports media, you know, the legend sort of grew. They actually made a uh, sample documentary to show to Michael that was just kind of a one-hour thing. So, um, you know, we never knew exactly what was in those archives, but we knew it had to be gold considering the cast of characters, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, and then go from there and the way it ended. So, you know, I just kind of kept my eyes and ears open. And then when it got close to what would have been the 20th anniversary you know, I'm talking now 2016, thinking we're two years away from the 20th. I started having these serious conversations, and my 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 pitch really focused on the changing media landscape. By that I mean, um, it used to be that like if you could sell a 90-minute uh, or two-hour documentary on TV, that was great. You know, HBO was really the only ones doing sports docs back in the day. <clears throat> Then 30 for 30 on ESPN around 2009, 2010, kind of changed it a little bit. And then documentaries started showing up in long-form, multi-part series, right? So you had the O.J. Made in America film that won the Oscar. You had How to Make a Murderer, which was 10 hours on Netflix and The Jinx on HBO. So my, my pitch was, look, there's all this footage and a one-hour couldn't do it justice, and that was one of the reasons Michael wasn't really that interested. Now we could do this as an event, as a once-in-a-lifetime, multi-part, 10-hour, in-depth look at this team and, in fact, the entire dynasty. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but it was a long journey, and I think, I think Michael really responded to the idea 
that you would see some of that behavior that, you know, was legendary about how tough he was on his teammates. You'd see the motivation. You'd see all he was really trying to do was elevate their level of play and, and try to get them up to his level of intensity and, and caring and, and, and trying to build a winning team. And you see how it pays off out of, you know, through all those years of building this dynasty. But it sounds like you being a Philly guy and doing another documentary actually sealed the deal. Um, which other documentary? The Iverson, the Iverson documentary. Oh, that seemed sorry, to be the Iverson, what got Michael, right? The, the Iverson wrinkle, yeah. Well, you know, I can only tell you the facts as they happened. Um, what, ha- what was going on in his head is a great mystery, but I loved the way it transpired because um, when I finally got to sit with Michael after four months of courting him and putting materials together and working with Esty and Curtis, um, finally had a chance to sit with him uh, the day before the draft um, in the summer of 2016 and uh, found him really uh, responsive, um, present, you know, that that is one of the things that this documentary really shows is that his you know nowadays there's a whole focus on mindfulness and being in the moment man when michael shows up he is all in right so he takes this what we call a lookbook which is a presentation of photos and words and ultimately my my pitch and i never knew if i'd actually have the chance to sit with him so I wrote an open letter, Dear Michael, every day all these kids come into my office, young interns, young production assistants, associates, wearing your shoes who've never seen you play. Now it's time. Basically that was the premise. Um, and he's sitting there reading it, paging through it, pictures, quotations, what will be in the episodes. I did like a thumbnail sketch of how the ten episodes might break down, you know, just sort of, you know, dream in the big dream, right? And then the last page is um, is the production company credit. So I put a bunch of shows that we'd done through the years, from Varsity Blues to Coach Carter to Hardball to uh, Hank Aaron, Kareem. And then the last one, as he made his way around the circle clockwise, it got to Iverson, which is a documentary that we'd done a few years earlier for Showtime. And you know, as a Philly guy, you know, I remember the crossover. I don't know how Michael feels about Allen. And he stops on that, and he says, you did that. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we're so close. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and he, and he takes off his reading glasses, and he looks up at me, and he says, man, watch that thing three times. Made me cry. I love that little guy. And then he walked around the table and said, you know, let's do it. I'm in. So, again, you know, we can, uh, we can speculate all we want. I'm just telling you the story as it happened. And, uh, always loved Alan, and I guess I I want to say thank you to the little guy for helping make it possible. You know, Mike, you you said something during that, which which is something that I have heard all week, which is everybody I've talked to about the Last Dance, who's our generation, has been watching with their sons and daughters, yeah. and the common reaction amongst kids and people that are under twenty five is they had no idea the competitiveness the tenacity, the the skill, and, and the worldwide appeal of Jordan. And it's making another generation debate the argument of 
LeBron versus Michael, where most younger kids just assume that LeBron is is the better player because that's what they've seen. What's it yeah. like it, as somebody who's worked on a documentary to to start that discussion and keep history going? Well, it was never the intent, honestly. This was never about legacy. It was never about the GOAT. Um, if that's a byproduct of this, great. I mean, right now, um, since we don't have games to watch, anything that sparks a conversation, um, for me, that's what sports is about, really. That's the, the beauty of sports is you know, what I refer to as currency, uh, a universal language, something that binds people together, and you go anywhere in the country now, especially with basketball, anywhere, anywhere in the world, and, and talk about the Chicago Bulls um, or the Golden State Warriors of more recent times. Um, and, you know, it's a way in, right? So if people want to debate that, cool. There's so many metrics. There's so many ways to analyze. Um, you know, I live through that. I'm living through this. Um, I just think Michael stands above all. Um, six times in the finals, six times champion, six times MVP. No one's ever done that and no one ever will. I see how different the challenge was in each of those six years. I see the injuries. I see the infighting. I mean, you've already seen it in the first couple of episodes, and you'll see so much more of it. Um, you know, Scotty's injured. Scotty's got contract squabbles. You know, Dennis wants to take a vacation, which you'll see. Episodes, well, episode three coming up this Sunday night is really uh, the Dennis episode. Um, you'll see his backstory. Um, you'll see, you know, how he tormented the Bulls when he was part of the Bad Boys. So, you know, the, the thinking that that guy is central to the Bad Boys beating the Bulls twice in a row could end up being such a critical part of the Bulls dynasty, crazy. Um, uh, and you'll see in episode four um, the Phil Jackson backstory and the incredibly bold move by Jerry Krause to take a relatively successful young Doug Collins, another Philly connection, um, and fire him to bring in Phil Jackson and work with Tex Winter, who was the assistant there in Chicago, to implement the triangle, which, as you guys know, Phil, I guess it worked considering Phil won 11 titles with it, but you're essentially bringing in a system that's going to to take away shots from the, the most prolific scorer and the greatest player of all time um that's that takes a lot of courage um and what it also shows about michael and another reason that i think michael stands head and shoulders his coachability um to think of some of the modern day superstars and how they are often perceived as coach killers or they are they are a larger presence than the coach and they sort of engineer who's going to be their coach I mean, Michael was so influenced in such a positive way by Phil, not just um, submitting and thriving in the triangle offense, but also in an off-court way, in, in a personality way, to see him, uh, see him in his late 20s evolving and see him believe in Phil's the spirituality that was such a critical part of Phil's coaching, of his presentation. Um, you know, he talks all the time about that vo- that Zen Buddhist stuff. Um, but I really believe, as I said a few minutes ago, it led to him, his mental acuity, his, his ability to focus, to be present, 
to be all in in whatever endeavor he's doing. So, um, and it, it is, you know, it is very cool the character development you did for characters other than Michael. But right. th- I mean, you did 106 interviews. You sat down with former presidents. You sat down with celebrities. You sat down with teammates, people he played against. What was it like? You know, first to sit down, you sat down three times with Michael. Uh, what was that like? Well, and it seems like you got to well, see first, the intensity that some other people saw. Well, first of all, the the you is 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 really Jason Hare. I mean, uh, I was there as one of the producers and stayed as close as I could to this project, and it was really a a dream come true. But um, uh, kudos need to go to Jason Hare who uh, was brought on as the director in late 2016 and, you know, spent two and a half years immersed in this thing, single-mindedly devoted to seeing this thing thing through. Um, Jason uh, did the Fab Five and the 85 Bears on ESPN, did the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO, really talented filmmaker who was, um, I always said this to him, I felt like he was in a position in his life when we brought him on that reminded me of the position I was in when I started doing the Hank Aaron documentary um, in the 90s where I was where I could devote every fiber of my energy and every moment of my thinking to this project I mean he, he you know he ate slept and drank and lived this thing and saw it through and then um, led the effort to accelerate the post-production when the pandemic hit and people started clamoring for something to fill the void. You know, we were we were planning on a June 2nd launch for the series to uh, kind of integrate into the finals, right? And then um, in the middle of March, um, when the world stopped spinning and the NBA and everything else shut down, um, we started hearing noise on social media and then it grew to the mainstream media. And then ultimately all the parties involved in this thing um, sat down and had the conversation, which means ESPN, Netflix, uh, Jump Inc., which is Jordan's company, the NBA, and Mandalay Sports Media. And there was a pretty clear consensus that if we could do this, we should do this. And st- so we started penciling out dates and how much work we still had to do to finish the series. We're still working on it, by the way. We we won't. Uh, when you guys see episodes seven and eight in in two weeks. We'll still be working on nine and ten to get them finished for for the final air date on May seventeenth. Wow. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, we did one hundred and six interviews. Um, Jason did about eight hours with Michael Jordan. Jason's a very copious researcher. Um, you know, he, he comes with a clipboard and he comes with his questions laid out and he comes with a plan. And um, he also comes with a great deal of credibility, which is to say, when he starts asking questions. Um, it becomes very clear, I think, to the to the interviewee um, that he's he, he knows the background. He's not going to waste your time. So when he reads that quote that you saw last weekend about the Chicago Bulls traveling cocaine circus, how great for for him as the interviewer to read something to Michael Jordan about Michael Jordan in his rookie year that Michael Jordan says he never even heard before. <laughs> so um, the way he responded, not just kind of brushing it off or nodding or laughing at it, but to describe chapter and verse what was going on in that hotel room and all the various things at various, various stations in the room and how he got out of there, um, that was early in the first conversation. And it, it, so it became very clear to him and me and everybody there 
that, you know, as I said earlier, when Michael's in, he's in, man. The first interview lasted about three and a half hours, and we were all exhausted. And, uh, you know, once it's clear that Michael's participating and that he's sanctioned the project, um, everybody's in. You know, every, everybody wanted to be a participant. We had more people um, who wanted to be in that we just couldn't fit in. Um, but um, I think it's a pretty thorough job, and I think you have a, a really broad cross-section of opinion. And so when we get to the big, let's call them hot-button issues, you're going to see a pretty thorough investigation. There, there are also a lot of issues in here that haven't been touched on yet. I don't know how you guys decided to deal with them. You have Michael's gambling. You have his father's unfortunate passing. You have him leaving the game of, of basketball to go pursue baseball. How did you guys approach what you were going to do with those kind of topics? Well, those are the things I refer to as hot-button issues. Um, we had a list. We had it in our heads, and then ultimately when the time came, you know, we had it on that clipboard. Um, we talked about it a lot in advance, and we said um, we really do – need to leave no stone unturned um we really can't we can't pull any punches we can't avoid these issues or we'll lose our credibility and i think the series will suffer um and uh there was no resistance there was no resistance from michael or any other participants um it was it was really bring it on so um we um we addressed the gambling head-on um he answered every question um, you'll see the archival footage in which he actually called Ahmad Rashad and asked him to put him on the air in a one-on-one, you know, special, um, newsworthy interview to discuss all the allegations and all the accusations and all the things that were swirling around in '93. Um, you know that, you know, he he made that trip in the beginning of the series with the Knicks where he and his dad went down to the casino in Atlantic City, and he was, you know, raked over the coals for that. That was his escape. That was his relaxation. And as he said, he went down for a couple of hours to get away from things, came back with his dad, like, around midnight, and then the next morning it all exploded, like, you know, where's Michael Jordan? And he's obviously distracted, and he obviously isn't committing. There was nobody more committed. You know, they were down 2 nothing in that series, and obviously they went on um, to beat the Knicks and then go on to beat the... Uh, the Suns for their for their third straight title, but um, we dealt with that. We dealt with the allegations surrounding his, his father's death. We dealt with the conspiracy theories that you know he and the NBA were in cahoots and made an agreement for him to step away from the game. The game. I mean, nonsense. Uh, it's it's been 27 years, and an awful lot of people have spent an awful lot of time you know trying to discover even the slightest shred of evidence. And you know, as Bob Costas says more eloquently than I can, you know, it's just not there. Um, We talked about um, activism as an issue, about how nowadays modern modern celebrity athletes um, make it their business to speak out on issues. And, you know, we've we've seen this generation um, be very involved, and I think it's a very um, positive uh, trend. But just kind of wasn't the way things were back then. Obviously, there were exceptions, Muhammad Ali being the primary one, um, who sacrificed a great deal of his career for um, his beliefs. Um, Michael's very eloquent about it. Um, He addresses head-on the comment that he made offhandedly, Republicans buy shoes too. 
Um, he talks about the circumstances surrounding it. He talks about how it was said, who it was said to, the context in which it was said. He talks about the political campaign um, between Jesse Helms and Harvey Gant for um, the Senate in 1990 in North Carolina, which was the crux of it all. We have Barack Obama talking about it. We have uh, Todd Boyd, um, a professor in Southern California, talking about it. Um, and you get it. You, you basically understand that this was a guy who was so focused on his craft, who was so single-minded, who basically said, all I ever wanted to do was be the greatest basketball player I could be. And um, if that was inspiring for some people, then great. And if it wasn't, then maybe you should be following somebody else. Well, we definitely encourage everybody to be watching. If you miss parts one and two, they air before parts three and four this Sunday night on ESPN. We would love for you to come back anytime. I didn't even get to ask you one of my favorite movies, Varsity Blues, there. So, oh, But uh, we did want to leave you with, so are the Eagles going to drive us crazy tonight? What are they going to do in the pack? Uh, you know what? I'm taking the night off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my son. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll be upstairs. You let me know when we get there. What is it, 53? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, You'll you hear know, his look, reaction if he doesn't tell you to come down in advance. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I went out for a run with my dog beforehand. And I said, just tell me the receivers who were off the board. And I came back and, and there were two left, right? Okay, so we didn't trade up for CeeDee Lamb. The worst case scenario possible that the Cowboys get. I mean, that's reason enough to trade up, right? Um, yep. But, I, but I, I feel like it's payback for the Dallas Goddard thing. Okay, still, the fourth guy is still there. I mean, you know, how is it that everybody else in the world thinks it was a no-brainer and that – Jefferson was taken by the next in the next pick. Um, what is how we see? Well, I mean, what what you know what was going on at TCU that the rest of the world doesn't know about? <laughs> well, know. we will what have what plenty to watch. Say? And uh, did Howie uh, did Howie comment today? I mu- he must have talked about the pick. I haven't Howie, heard it. Howie said that he more fits what they're going for. I mean, it seems like they were going more for. Speed. I know they ran at the combine sort of the same four four, but it, on the tape it looks like um, his speed is is better. He had run four two at his own personal pro day. Oh yeah, um, what is that? It, we can't. It seems like how he did a Howie though. He rather than taking yeah. the stud receiver that you could just plug there, he plugged the guy that can be a returner and can be this and that. And oh, we'll see whether what what he does afterwards. <laughs> You use a first-round draft choice for a punt returner. All I know is, like, you can just know that Philly Media will be running a week-by-week comparison between Jefferson and this guy and Lamb and all the other guys we could have gotten. So, oh no doubt, they're all going to be tied together in terms of how they produce. So, there's there's um, your next documentary in ten years. You're gonna you can look back and and you can you can see if this led to a Super Bowl. Look, we all we all hope we're wrong. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us the time, and we wish you the best of luck with it. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Hope we can do it again. Would love to. You have a great one. You too. Take care. Jeff, I'm even more fired up to watch the next parts now. I I thought it was cool before. I – that was great. <laughs> it, it's it's interesting to see, you know, they said, what, nine hours that they had with, with Jordan, one of them being three hours long. Those are, look, we do long-form interviews. They do get exhausting, and, and we're talking 20 minutes. Uh, to sit down with somebody and go through their live, 
uh, for their life for for 90 you know or to a, three hours at a time it is kind of amazing and um, not all pleasant it wasn't like they went through well that's it. all the rosy uh, parts but 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 Jason Hare, who's who's the director of it, has done some amazing things. You and I have talked, to, and you're the wrestling fan. I'm not. I'm not a wrestling fan, but that Andre the Giant documentary was, was incredible. Amazing. Yeah, yes. I mean, I mean, he knows his. That's what you need when you're going to do a, a a sports documentary. You have to know your subject, and you kind of have to have a passion for it. And I think it comes through in this, um, the passion that everybody involved and the number of people that had to be involved in putting this together. Not just how long does it take to go through 500 hours of tape? And if your response is going to be 500 hours, that's not the answer. It well, takes the interesting a lot thing, longer to go through all that and cut it up and figure out and kind of put the order in which this is all being weaved together is kind of incredible. Oh, it's fascinating the way they go back and forth in time uh, and, and tell the story. Uh, I was saying before he hopped on the air, I was an on-the-court basketball fan. I didn't realize Jerry Krause. That was eye-opening to me, the discontent behind the scenes, the tanking. The, that was not something. So as a basketball on-court fan who didn't necessarily pay attention to what was going on off the court, that was eye-opening to me. Well, you also, have to remember the, you also have to remember the era. I mean, back then you didn't have the number of sports reporters that you do now. So it would have been hard to uncover a lot of this. The only reason some of it was uncovered was because Scottie Pippen opened his mouth to a reporter and said, I'm out of here, basically. But if Did he you had see there's said basically that, the same type of treasure trove with Kobe's uh, last season now? Uh, it, I have not. Uh, you know, <laughs> apparently, Kobe's whole last season has video behind the scenes like this, too. Yeah, but that's that's more it's more expected these days. It, you know, we have more access to video and stuff like that. Thirty years ago, the idea of having this kind of access, I mean, even the equipment being bigger is 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 harder to you know, it's just not as easy to do. You can you can do it now on your iPhone. And and I, I, I get better quality time, than I love how big time Mike is, and yet he's still ready to like rip Eagles draft picks with us. <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, but, but doesn't that tell you about Philadelphia sports fans? I mean, yeah, look, you, can't you grow up here, Philly you're a Philly fans. guy. That's, that's what he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about the draft. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the draft. The Eagles stayed put at 21. They drafted wide receiver Jalen Rager out of TCU, 5'10, 195 pounds. Um, they did forego Jefferson out of LSU, who went right afterwards to Minnesota. They right, can chose I, can not. I, can I, can I, before you go into that, can I go through some stats on this just to drive people completely nuts? It doesn't I love mean how that you're convinced. bringing stats to the show right now. This is awesome. <laughs> okay, um, bring it. No, I want. I want to know. I've got nothing. Just Justin Jefferson, 111 receptions for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns this year. Do you, you believe like it's to relevant to those numbers that he had do, the number you, one pick in the draft? Uh, well, didn't no, no I did. Look, Rieger had one of the worst quarterbacks in the country. Um, yes. If you look at if you look at uh, he only had 43 receptions, 611 yards and only five PDs. Um, he had the second highest rate in college football, 20 percent more than the average receiver when it comes to 15 plus yard plays, 
51.6% of his plays went for over 15 yards. But the problem with him is, and, and by the way, with, to go with your quarterback, um, he had 88 targets. He only caught 43. But part of it is the quarterback. Uh, the catchable balls, and I don't know how they figure all this stuff out, was 61.4%, which is 118th out of 120 of the receivers who saw at least 80 targets. The, the so if you're an Eagles fan, that's something the drop. The thing that concerns me the most is the drop rate. Yeah, sixteen percent. That's not good. Yeah, it's not yeah. good at all. But but I just don't know how you how you pass on a guy like Jefferson. I mean, I, I get if you want to not take T Higgins, although I'm telling you that he's the guy that I, I I've told you this for weeks now. The guy that I've seen him play in person, the guy is impressive, and he's a bigger receiver. And I think he would go better with Deshaun Jackson. My concern with, with Rieger is Rieger's a smaller, fast guy. And he's, I don't know if he's going to pair well with Deshaun Jackson. You basically have two slot guys now. Well, I think Deshaun's really only here for another year. So is he the replacement to Deshaun, basically? I guess so. I mean, if, I if mean that's, that's the I would have preferred so, the bigger but... wide receiver. I would have preferred you go with Jefferson. He has more size. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. I, well, let me ask I you a question. Hope I'm wrong. Would, you, would you want Tyreek Hill without all the problems, obviously? Would you want Tyreek Hill? Yes, and that's the comparison that Rieger gets is to Tyreek oh, Hill. That's the, that, that's the comparison that's, Justin Jefferson to, gets. To Jefferson. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, so do you turn down Tyreek Hill when you didn't even have to move? I mean, the amazing thing is that they had the opportunity to take Jefferson without moving. I thought they would have to move to get him. And, you know, I was more surprised they stayed at 21 and took a wide out. I thought if they stayed at 21, they'd go like linebacker finally after all these years of us wanting a linebacker when we well, finally need a wide receiver. But I think we can't got be six, done at wide receiver right now. Yeah, but if, if, if when they got to six and Isaiah Simmons was still on the board, I said, if the Eagles can, go up and get him. Because can you imagine him on that defense? Well, he, that would he have been... improved the entire defense in so many different ways. He's going to be the Giants screwed up by not taking him, and well, him the... being available when he was available. If you could go up and get him, and I don't know if they could have, but I would at least tried to go so up. So the and Giants get him. are going to try and protect their quarterback. Um, Correct. Probably a smart move, not a sexy pick, but you know if your quarterback well, they didn't survive, they didn't even, they didn't even take the, the one of the top three offensive linemen. Yeah, that surprised me. Um, Washington, Washington went with the defensive end, Chase Young. He'll be a problem against the Eagles for years. Um, we'll have to figure out how we're going to block him. You see the reports that the Eagles might not be happy with Andre Dillard. You got concerns about that at all? What are they not happy with? That they're just concerned about his development, potentially. Uh, there were some reports that he might be traded. You never know with any of those are true. Um, but it just doesn't seem like they are sold on him as the starting left tackle at this point. Well, then I guess that means they'll be taking an offensive lineman and people won't be thrilled, huh? Well, you know who they won't have on the team? Who? They won't have Gronk, but he also won't be on New England. He's going to hang out with Tom Brady. Yeah, but you realize that's not good for the Eagles, right? I know that's not they're, good they're in the, the They're in the NFC. So, the, so now, now you have them loading up. And by the way, they... 
this was the most boring round of the draft from a draft perspective. In That's years. what I wanted to ask you. Um, there was no movement until Tampa Bay moved up a whole one pick to take an offensive lineman so that Brady could be protected even better. I mean, look, let's be fair. Good good on the people who did the broadcast that they were able to carry this out under the circumstances that they were. But I really thought that they would use technology to give us more, to give us more player interviews, to give us more insight with the general managers, to hear I was more screaming with Goodell. At the I was yeah. screaming at the screen because they have 10 minutes in between each pick. They interviewed the first pick in the draft. They have all these cameras set up for these guys. And by the way, did they not look excited? They didn't look excited when they would get drafted. So it was clear that they didn't have the right timing down because then they showed in the background every once in a while, Roger Goodell talking, FaceTiming with some of the players and the players and their families looked ecstatic. ESPN's got all these different stations. Why didn't they run do something like if they're going to talk on one station, why didn't they take one of the other ESPN stations and spend it with Roger Goodell FaceTiming with the players? It just yeah, it just seemed like they missed more. an opportunity, especially since this was a once in a lifetime thing, hopefully, which was going had, into people's homes. They could have had more interaction with the fans, too. I mean, they had the fans on the screens behind him. You heard that he was talking to him because every time they would go to him early, you'd hear him trying to hype them up so that they were going crazy in the background. Yeah, but the, but you know, to for all the stuff people give to Goodell, you got to give him credit. He, the, what he said at the beginning and them starting the hashtag "boo the commish," mm -hmm. I thought I thought that was great. But it was I odd it was great too. after the first pick, nobody was booing him. Every time they yeah. showed the fans, they were cheering. Well, they were excited about what their happened. Pick. The commissioner did have a slight screw up. He said that uh, the Vegas, <laughs> the Vegas draft in 2022 would actually be in 2020, um, where they moved it to. I also enjoyed some of the locations of where people drafted from. Jerry on his yacht. I couldn't figure out what was going on in Mike Vrabel's household. Um, that one confused me a lot. Um, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury had a sweet got a house. great contract, didn't he? Because oh, he he just looked like he was living in an oasis. Is that not the best setup that you've seen? I would never want to draft from anywhere else. Although Tam Tampa Bay's coach looked the most relaxed. He was sitting out on his porch <laughs> just well, hanging out. always the most relaxed. If we look at yeah. the breakdown, 15 of the first-round picks came from the SEC. 14 picks came from just four schools, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. Any of that surprise you? Is it just a reflection on where we are right now? That's the football factories. That's that's the problem with college football is that you have a, a couple schools that are going to remain fo football factories unless maybe the coach changes. Who knows? If Nick Saban leaves Alabama, um, did you see that he had they had a, a, a coaching bingo card? And Nick Saban's <laughs> the first coach, I think, in 30 or 40 years who's had a first-round pick at every position. And the last position crazy. for him was a quarterback. Tua. Yeah, that was the last one. That's so an odd what did last you think one. Of the, what did you think of the Dolphins going and getting Tua? And with that, another quarterback with the Packers taking Jordan Love with apparently not telling Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, it was odd that the Packers did it again 
they went through all that aggravation years ago with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers to now do the same thing to Aaron Rodgers made no sense to me. If it's true that they didn't even go to him and talk to him, I'm sure that they could have called him up a couple picks beforehand and said, look, Aaron, don't worry about your position, but we need to groom a replacement for a couple years from now, and here's what we're going to do. For them to just not tell him, he's the franchise, and this is not a guy who's the franchise and, and just a good player. He's a Hall of Famer if he never steps on the field again, and he's not exactly on the downward spiral. So why they would do this and why not go get help for him makes no sense to me. I know you were bored by the draft last night. Will you be watching tonight and tomorrow? Of course I will. I didn't say, I didn't <laughs> say I'm not watching. I just thought that the, it just it was it was boring and that there was no wheeling and dealing. It was, you know, from what we had heard and what, what the lead up to was that there was going to be a whole lot of moving up, especially in that three, four picks to get quarterbacks. And everything just kind of fell in line. And, hey, to those general managers and those head coaches, give them credit. They got their guys without having to give up a fortune. But we thought that there was going to be a lot of fortune to be had. Any other NFL thoughts before we move on and talk a little baseball? Yeah, by the way, did you see the Chargers, New Jersey? Yeah, you like them? Yeah, they're sweet. <laughs> I know you like that. Jerseys, everything. Yeah, they apparently they, know how to do things. The Rams <laughs> may want to take some... Uh, some pointers from them. The Rams should definitely take notes. Look, maybe um, the Mets will get a redesign of their logo and uh, uniforms if they end up with new owners. Uh, did you see that A-Rod and J-Lo are talking to J.P. Morgan to try and maybe buy the Mets? Great. And what's going to be in the locker room? Steroids? Mm, I mean, easy how, there. No. How, how do you let a guy who cheated the game, who everybody has has asserted cheated the game the reason he's not in the hall of fame isn't it because he cheated the game isn't it isn't that what we're hearing so how do you let him be and i don't know if this is going through this is only him supposedly trying to get financing and it shouldn't be that hard considering the will ponds are, are not are not in the best of shape right now so uh, if if when somebody said to me hey look who's trying to buy the mats i thought it was going to be seinfeld now that would be fun <laughs> but not JLo and them. So we will see what happens with that. Jeff, why don't they we be worse than Derek Jeter is as the Marlins? Uh, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> why don't we move, talk a little soccer and cooking, Jeff, if you want to bring on our next guest. I believe we have on the line, <laughs> Philadelphia Union, Casper Shabilko. Casper, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. And you? I'm doing well, but uh, it's only because I'm starting to look at your uh, cooking tips to give me some things to eat and, while I'm uh, bunkered down at home. <laughs> Where did you know, cooking I'm, I'm with Casper like... come from? Because we're really enjoying it. <laughs> I was like, you know, just a request of the of the union, and they asked like, what are we doing? Like usually, like uh, we'll be cooking in the morning, you know, like usually during the day. Um, I'm not like the morning type, so my breakfast should be like very quick. So I showed them like my, you know, my cooking skills, like with a, with a wrap um, that I'm doing like very quick and, uh, you know, I just posted it and everyone liked it. I'm happy about it, but it's, it, it's a nice wrap um, and it's also like uh, very healthy. So uh, everyone should just try it. Oh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The, the sausage part, the most important part was definitely um, good in terms of what's in there. 
what do you cook regularly? What's your favorite meal that you make? If, if and maybe that'll become a video soon, cooking with Casper. Actually, it's my this is my favorite part, like you know, cooking uh, with my fiance, like in the morning, because like the breakfast is always like the best. We have like different types. What we're doing sometimes it's a wrap, sometimes it's like this the British muffin, also with some egg on it, and also like with a patty or something like that. Uh, today we got uh, oatmeal was also very good with some fresh vegetables and uh, fruits, uh, some fruits. But this is like I like cooking with my fiance. It's always like fun. It's, Totally different when you just do it on your own or with someone else, and we, we just enjoy it together. So this is how you are spending your time. Have you been talking to your teammate, teammates, doing any Zoom meetings, or, or talking to them in any different way just to kind of keep in touch with them? Yeah, we try to stay connected all the time. Uh, it's like usually we uh, do one or two times a week, like with the whole team. We're doing a Zoom meeting just preparing for the next uh, opponent for the next game because like usually you know yeah we have a game on weekend and so we're just preparing for the next game so we have like an, uh, a zoom meeting with the whole team and then sometimes our captain is calling us and uh, hosting a zoom meeting just to keep us updated uh, how it's going with the pandemic uh, how it's going so far and you know sometimes uh, you know people because i usually use whatsapp like to stay connected with my family and friends in, in europe uh, but here there's uh, the it's called like the Slack app, and there sometimes we just you know text with each other, and you know some guys just uh, uh, texting me privately. So we're staying connected all the time, just asking how they're doing so far. If everyone, if, if everybody's like you know uh, doing good. What's the most creative way you found to keep your skills up while uh, you guys can't be out there on the field? The most creative part, um, I think, in that kind of thing I'll, I wasn't like that creative I'm just doing my runs I'm just trying to do like everything would be uh, uh, getting like from our uh, uh, coach stuff we, because we, we always get like a, a session that we can do during the day it's like every day we get a message um, this is our like you know uh, thing what we have to do so I'm just trying to uh, just to do the run or like also like some exercises at home because the gyms are closed so, like for weights, I use you know some water bottles or something like that. But uh, usually, I just go outside and just do my uh, do my runs as I said. Do you and your teammates uh, have any competitions going? Any gaming competitions or anything like that? Keep yourself busy. Um, we have just the competition. Sometimes we just do like who can do the most uh, push-ups or like pull-ups or something like that. It's like something between us, you know, like just doing you know something. Uh, funny stuff, but uh, usually I don't know. You, you, that's actually a good idea. Maybe I should just you know propose it like to 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 my teammates. Just maybe also play FIFA or something like that, and having something like that, you know. But but usually we just stay connected and you know uh, staying fit. You know, just doing like the exercises that we got. All right. So if you're gonna set up any type of those gaming competitions or anything, who on the union is the most competitive guy off the pitch? The most competitive guy, I would say Joe Bandic. It's it's him. It's always him. Like he, he's like because he's always sending some videos or doing some competition with us. Um, I think he's the most competitive guy right now. You, we've been, we've been to your locker room. We've seen you guys have ping pong tables. You have a, a game. I don't know what it's called, but it's ping pong with your feet. Do you, do you partake in that? Yeah, that's usually I do it most of the time with some teammates. Before we have practice, 
it's like a pre-active pre pre-activation because we have also like a pre-activation as a team and this is our pre-activation before so we're having like a lot of fun with uh, you know with this uh, i don't know how it's called i think it's called um hat we call it like hat soccer or something like that i don't know anymore like how it's called but yeah we have like a table where we just play you know with the, with the hat um and it's that's a lot of fun like that's why i just miss it like yeah, hanging with the guys like in the locker room because this is like the most a uh, great time with them. It's always so funny. How how excited are you to be staying with the union? You're able to sign a new contract in the off season. Now you get to be here with your fiance. How exciting is that for you right now? Right now, it's it's actually it's like a, I think it's a special time for everyone. It's uh, really cool right now. Just uh, you know having the time with my fiance right now. We actually got recently a dog. So a small puppy. So because I'm usually most of the time bored, she's doing home office. So most of the time I was sitting at a couch, you know, looking at her, staring at her, just you know, annoying her, asking her, hey, what's up? What you doing? I'm bored. <laughs> so we got a puppy right now, so I can just go all the time, just you know, having fun with this little puppy because this little puppy is just two and a half months old, but he has way too much energy. But it's great for me because I can do so also something outside with him. And um, it's 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 nice, uh, you know, spending time together, and uh, uh, we're getting close and close, and everything's fine right now. But you know, I just miss like also the time with my teammates and with everyone else. Um, so I just hope like everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and then you know soon we can all uh, you know just uh, meet each other again. I gotta ask you you have you come from a a very athletic family. Your dad was a footballer. Your mom competed in track and field. But to me, the one that was most interesting is you have a twin brother. I got to ask, as somebody who has twins in my family, did you guys ever switch off, do something to confuse the referees or anything like that when you played together? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we never did that. Because, like, you know, you when we play the game, <laughs> No, we did it. We did it actually uh, just for my driver license in Germany. I hope nobody's listening right now. <laughs> because uh, we should, we, I had to do like I I had to do like an exam before I uh, could do like the, the real exam, and I always failed. Uh, so I just sent my brother, my twin brother, and he he did it for me. <laughs> All right, well, Casper, that's why I needed a twin. Well, Casper, you're gonna you're gonna be hopefully be in Philadelphia for a while now. We love seeing you play. Um, what is the one thing you have not been able to do yet in Philadelphia that you want to do once we're allowed out? Not been able right now. I think I've done a lot here in Philly because before this pandemic happened, you know, my my family and friends they visit me visit me a lot, and they, you know, I, I was all all the time the one who was showing Philadelphia like. You know, every month because like my parents came, then my one friend came, then my brothers came, and then also my other friend came. So it was like a sightseeing like every month, and I just showed them everything. But um, I would like to see the zoo again with my fiance because that was my biggest wish right now because she was she was there like a long time ago, and uh, I like animals, I like the zoos, and I would like to go like just for a walk, just you know having a normal day, going with her just to the zoo and just having a good time. Well, we can't wait till you get back to things being normal and going around the zoo. We can't wait to see you back out on the field. And we thank you so much for giving us the time on the show. Take care of your stuff and stay safe. Thank you also so very much. Stay safe and, you know, hang in there. <laughs> thank you so much. You have a good one. You too. Jeff, I can't wait to 
to see him back on the field again. Uh, he's a fun player to watch and just a fun guy to talk to. And if you haven't watched Cooking with Casper, just go watch it. <laughs> yeah, make sure that you're uh, following the union. The union uh, have some fun stuff on there. Not only do they have fun stuff, but they're also making a point of, of having like uh, – the electronic people, I don't know what you call it. The younger generation, you can tell me. What. <laughs> <laughs> but I the, didn't but even they're, say anything there. You they're, 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 sal- they're saluting, you know, local heroes and putting them in, in uniforms and doing stuff with the colleges and kind of making, uh, you know, fake uniforms of like colleges mixed with um, the union. I, I think it's interesting what they're doing. They stay connected to the community and they had they had so much momentum coming from last year and making that playoff run that – you know, it's a shame that they haven't gotten started, but I know once they get started, Curtin's going to have all those guys going. It's definitely going to be fun. We have a couple minutes left. I did want to ask you, uh, our listeners know we're minor league baseball fans. We've done our other show following the Phillies minor league. Looks like the minor league is going to change based on agreements this week. Can you tell me what we saw and what your reaction is to it? Well, stories that started filtering out were, were something. Remember, we had the mayor of the committee to save minor league baseball on. Um, from the mayor from Chattanooga, what, a month and a half ago, talking about um, trying to save all of these teams because people don't realize how integral they are to the communities they're in, not just because they employ local people and they're a team and kind of give that rah-rah support, but they do a lot when it comes to charity and just community giving and community sponsorship. And those things are really important. And, and now we have, it looks like Major League Baseball before was trying to to cut out about 40 teams now with with everything that's happened that's so unfortunate it seems that major league baseball is taking advantage of that and and they're going to cut down to about 120 teams which means they're going to if if the stories are right they're going to cut out basically short season baseball and rookie ball what that means for the phillies and phillies fans is is the possibility although nothing's final yet is that the Williamsport Crosscutters, who we've gone up and visited uh, several times, who, you know, most of the guys that you see in the major leagues for the Phillies that came up through their system, including Reese Hoskins, uh, played down in in Williamsport. Cesar Hernandez, I remember being there for his final game in Williamsport when he got the team MVP. It's a great old stadium and a place that's kind of historic. And it, it's a shame that this is going to happen to the city, to the teams, uh, hopefully they can develop some independent ball, but independent ball is never as popular because most of those guys aren't then coming up through the system. So you're not as invested in it. I mean, that's what happened with the Camden River Sharks was they weren't associated with any team. So it never really caught on. It's definitely concerning. And, uh, you know, it seems like it's sort of a done deal almost at this point. So it's something to watch when baseball does come back what happens to those younger players and some of these other teams. I wanted to ask you real fast. Do you think the Red Sox punishment was enough, Jeff? Is that punishment? <laughs> it didn't seem like what they did was as bad. Um, considering aren't everything. Aren't they repeat offenders? On. Yeah. I mean, Alex Cora got the biggest slap of all of them. He, he probably deserved it. So I don't know. I, at, at this point, uh, it's the Astros that I'm more worried about. I still think that they're getting away with something. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's going to be forgotten because of all this. I hope that people remember when they come back what the Astros did and and what they did to the league and all the other players by doing what they did. Fans filing suits over tickets. The lawyer in you, is this uh, going to go forward? 
Look, the season was only just starting. Um, we don't we don't know what's going to happen next month. My personal belief is this lawsuit's way too soon. Let's see what's going to happen. I now if if people call up and say, "Look, I can't afford this anymore." I think it's incumbent upon the teams to make a policy to deal with those situations. If people are just calling and just complaining, I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to hear complainers. I understand both sides of this, but nobody's made a Look, decision. You're a season yet. ticket holder yourself. You're going through the same thing. And right now I'm not complaining about it. I'm 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 praying upon hope that that I'm gonna get to see all hundred and sixty-two games. I know it's probably unlikely, but I want that hope out there. Well, Jeff, you continue to be hopeful. Uh, what do you hope the Eagles do tonight with 30 seconds left? Uh, if T. Higgins is available, I still think you take him. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see if Jeff's right. Make sure to join us next Friday night to start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.